We have been in this series, uh, Ruined to Renovation, uh, kind of coming out of the, the book, uh, Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard, should say that because a lot of his words and thoughts are in all of these sermons, so I give credit where credit is due. Um, and, and we've been speaking about our thinking and our thought life and transforming our minds, and so in speaking of that, we, we come to the slippery subject of feelings today, you know, all our feelings a little all in flutter, a flutter, right? And, uh, you know, concerning feelings, we say things like, um, he wears his heart on his sleeve, right? Meaning somebody that kind of wears their emotions outward and for everybody to see. Or we say she's level-headed, or uh, she holds her cards close to her chest, meaning somebody who's very guarded with their emotions and their thoughts and things like that. If we could paint our feelings, somebody, some, some of us might... It might look like a Jackson Pollock painting. If you know Jackson Pollock, he just gets in a room and puts a canvas on the floor and throws paint everywhere, right? Um, some of us might look like the scream. You ever see that, that painting? Like, like ah! Um, or it might look like um, Starry Night by Vincent Van Gogh or whatever. You know, like imagine a painting that reflects your feelings at any mo- moment and, and uh, yeah, whatever. But... Um, we, we, what we find is controlling our feelings is difficult since they are concerned with our passions and our desires and how those pull us and how those lead us in life and things like that. And sometimes it honestly feels like we're a 90-pound jockey riding a 1,500-pound racehorse without a bit and rein in its mouth to guide it, and we're holding on for dear life, and we don't know where this juggernaut's going, right? It's just going to take us for, you know, in places we probably shouldn't be going. Um, feelings can drive us to do detrimental things, to avoid them or to chase them. The junkie shoots up, the alcoholic drinks to change or chase their feelings. We hide our feelings in fear of being hurt. Uh, Feelings can be both wonderful things, but they can be also very problematic in life, right? One question we ask, we always ask people when we first meet meet them is, how are you? And the word we leave off is, how are you feeling, right? We mean, how are you feeling? Revealing that the the prominence of feeling in life is very uh, evident. It's very powerful. Uh, We equate feeling with touch. When we say something touches our heart, it means something, we felt it very deeply, right? Uh, I got prayed over by two women yesterday that they didn't know me uh this is a side note they didn't know me but they were uh they they prophesied over me and man it was just i mean they didn't know me from adam and they just they just opened me up like a book like it was everything they said was spot on and like (laughs) halfway through i was just bawling and so one lady's doing this to me, and I'm like, oh, you got me crying. And the other, this other lady comes over, and she goes, and she's like 6'4", this lady. She's just towering over me. She goes, you better keep crying because i got something to say to you too. And, she, and I was like, oh, okay. So, um, you know, I just felt so small. Like these were like spiritual giants in front of me. But it was cool. It was really cool. It was really encouraging. So I don't know where I am in this thing now. But, um, but many of us live in bondage to feelings of fear or sadness or despair or anger or, anger or, or in the avoidance of such feelings through the pursuit of elation or self-gratification or contentment by means monetary or intellectual or medicinal, right? 
Uh, we play with and we strum on people's feelings. We say, he played me like a fiddle, meaning that we've been manipulated by our emotion, right? I can very easily evoke negative feelings in Kim, my wife, by simply rolling over in the morning and saying, mm, Salamat pagi ibu. And I speak to her in Indonesian in that voice and she just gets, ah. She just can't stand it. She hates it because it brings up culture shock where all these old Indonesian Asian men would like, you know, meet her and they'd go, hmm, selamat buggy, boo. You know, and I was like, oh. So she, she hates that. I'm not very fun to live with at times. But um, God speaks to this issue of our passions in many places in the scriptures, but, but he speaks to this issue of our passions and our desires and our feelings. In one place he says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. You might not think that has to do with feelings, but it does. But of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, in Galatians 5.24, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, which very much have to do with our feelings. Feelings are very tied to our physicality, what we eat and what we drink and what we do with our bodies and where it leads us and what activities we play, play out in, you know, and all that stuff. God speaks rather definitively to those controlled by these things. In 1 John chapter 2, he says, do not love the world or anything in the world, right? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For, the, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever, right? And so to love the world in this sense is to have too strong an affinity for the things which make us feel certain ways, right? It means that not that we can't enjoy things in the world. That's not what, I don't think that's what it means. But it means that when we give those things uh, the rightful place of Christ uh, in our life in order to give us false meaning and false purpose is to commit idolatry. It's to put them in the wrong place. It's a false, destructive way to live. We are emotionally attached, as we've said in past sermons, to the ideas, the images, the information which govern our thinking. And spiritual formation is a process of changing that stuff. We use our ability to think in ways unhealthy sometimes. Ways that are ungodly and not good for us and not good for the other people around us too. But in spiritual maturity, what we realize is that we crucify that old self, you know, that old negative self and that, it's enslaved, that, that is in, enslaved to its feelings and its passions and desires. We nail that thing to the cross and we don't live for creature comforts nor emotional pleasure in the sense of it becoming all of what we're about. Not Again, not that we don't enjoy things and enjoy life, but they are put into the right perspective under the Lordship of Christ and the satisfaction we receive in relationship with Him. We may have little control over what we feel at times, you know, but we can take our thoughts captive to Christ, creating an environment for negative, destructive feelings to die off and for healthy feelings in our lives to emerge, Right? And being spiritually formed well, being spiritually formed strongly, uh, feelings will be dealt with in healthy ways. God will do it. He will continue us on, right? You know, I think it's Philippians 3. If I, 
Some of you Bible heads will remember better than me. You know that God will continue the work in us, right? Some of those feelings will be removed altogether, and they will be replaced with feelings that are healthy and strong and good. Uh, some of those feelings will be modified and changed, right? You know, I, not to be base, but I, I like sex, right? Um, it makes me feel good. Um, I, don't, I don't say that to be funny. Lions like sex. It makes them feel good, right? But the difference is a lion doesn't extrapolate that feeling to put it above all else, right? He doesn't live for that. We are truly unique creatures in the created order. We are truly different than all other beings that walk this earth. We, as human beings, have the ability to think and to explore our feelings and to direct our thinking accordingly. And that means that we have to be responsible, responsible with that ability to think about how we think, we've said in the past. Think about how we think. And no one can master their feelings head on just by resisting and redirecting by sheer willpower. That just doesn't work, you know, as in the moment that they're washing over us. That's called white knuckling it, right? That's called legalism, by the way. To think that we can do that reveals how drastically we misunderstand how, how we are formed as human beings. And it does also probably reveal our pride that we don't really need God to do it for us. In the end, if we're just white-knuckling it, we give in to our wrong feelings. We will at some level and in some way, which may feel great in the moment, right? Might feel great in the moment, but it's a point of defeat, eventually bringing more despair and further disconnection with God and with other people. But the problem is that we live right now in a culture which values giving in to our desires and to our passions, to our feelings. We say, follow your heart. (laughs) Follow your heart, right? Be true to yourself. All that stuff, right? But our hearts can deceive us. Our own thinking can be off. Self-denial and self-control aren't valued and aren't practiced as they should be in our culture And whether that is a giving in to anger or fear or sexual attraction or gluttony of food or gluttony of looking good um, or even despair or victimhood or our woundedness that we love to live out of sometimes, those of us who live by giving in to these things, even if we won't admit it, consider our feelings and our desires and our passions as more important and deserving of satiation than is Christ's lordship over them we don't really believe god and when he says i have a better life for you so we choose this way of life since we see no other sometimes we're like a fish in water we can't see the water right we've never been told that's why teaching is so important so we don't have a vision that it actually can be better life can be better that god's way is better we don't realize that we can actually change so we don't have an intention it's not an intention is not driven by a vision, right? And therefore, we don't replace these feelings or seek to have them replaced by God through the spiritual formation process. We don't utilize the means that God has given us. So what we end up doing is we end up reliving the life of Adam, right? Putting ourselves in the place of God. We say, well, I'll deal with my emotions, right? You know, they're, they're too precious to entrust to God. 
we hear people say, well, you don't understand. You haven't been through what I've been through. Yeah, with all due respect, we are all human. I don't have to experience the same exact thing that you experience to be able to empathize with your emotions. We have the same emotions, right? We've all been hurt. None of us is special, right? None of us is different. I think we're unique. If we think we're unique, uh, it just sort of reveals this pride in us. It keeps us from the health of relationships and and community and things like that. We should be submitting ourselves to Jesus, allowing Him to do heart surgery on our feelings under the skillful hand of His Spirit, under the watchful eye of the faith community, and under the direction of God's Word. Now, side note, the prayer ministry of this church is growing and I am seeing just an openness of people to be vulnerable. And that is a, one, that is a ha- sign of a healthy church. Amen. Right? Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> um, we see the lack of spiritual formation in the churches in America as whole denominations sometimes abandon scriptural authority. And since the scriptures call them to go against the powerful feelings and the cultural current and the desires of how we think life should be. And that's happening across the board. Although they have a perceived religiosity, they end up forgoing salvation in Christ due to their lack of knowledge. We, we talked about that last week. 2 Timothy 3 describes this situation. It says, but mark this. And these are not fun verses. It says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. Brutal, not lovers of the good. Treacherous rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, or we could say lovers of our feelings rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, having have nothing to do with those people. And that is a picture of a people governed by their feelings, born out of a humanistic logic just following along with our, our, our cultural norms. Not, the, not, not a people that are governed by the Word of God, governed by the, the Spirit of God. And so they have some structure. They have some sort of godliness. Uh, they have some sort of a religious system, but they are denying the power of God in that whole process. And that's not what we want to be. Jesus speaks simple truth when He said in John eight thirty four, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. If I allow these things control in my life, I'm a slave to them at some level. Paul said to the Philippians, many live as the enemy of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mindset is on earthly things. Is your mind on earthly things? To be enslaved to sin through our passions, through our desires, by living only, uh, being led by our feelings is to be in human bondage. It really is. Like running on a treadmill while somebody is on the side just cranking up the speed all the time. Eventually we're going to trip and we're going to fall on our face. But those 
who learn to walk with Jesus, allowing Him to be Lord of their hearts, gain the knowledge and are empowered to accept that their feelings and their desires and their passions don't have to be fulfilled. Feelings aren't facts. Feelings aren't facts. They're feelings. Just because you feel mad doesn't mean you have reason to be mad and doesn't mean you should act on being mad. Right? Just because you feel like you want that chocolate cake doesn't mean that you should eat that chocolate cake. Right? See, delusion comes by replacing the word want with the word need. Oh, I need that chocolate cake. No, you don't. No, you don't. Right? Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It is not a fruit of our culture. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Kingdom believers, kingdom mindset believers can withstand excruciating pain and loss and, and all the knocks of life that it brings us as well as face sudden temptation calling it calmly for what it is, a lie. Something that promises something that it can't really deliver on. And what they don't whine over the unfulfillment or the not, that's not a word, by the way. I typed it and it didn't work. The non-fulfillment, that's a word. The non-fulfillment of feeling and, and desire. They don't whine over that. Rather, they live as not to need to have such feelings in their life. Or at the very least, they live as, the, as if those feelings aren't as powerfully controlling as before. And they, they diminish over time. You know, you do need spiritual leaders, people, uh, and I don't mean just positional leaders, but people in the church that are actually walking with Jesus and say to you, it it works. It gets better. You need that, right? These people, people who are really walking with Jesus in the spiritual formation process, get off the treadmill of emotion long before it gets too fast. Not simply in the avoidance, they don't live just simply in the avoidance of sin, but avoiding temptation altogether. There's a difference, right? They plan their life well so that they aren't tempted and they find joy and they find peace in that sort of a lifestyle. And they have the ability to do what they do not want to do They may feel a certain way, but that's not the way they should be going, right? So they have the ability to do what they do not want to do and not to do what they want. That's Romans chapter 6, right? In order to experience a deeper life in Christ, Paul ends that little passage in Romans 6 like, oh, like I'm I'm desperately, I'm I'm lost. But what's going to save me? Jesus. And he says, Jesus will save me, Right? And what we find is that the longer we submit ourselves to the process, the healthy process of spiritual formation in life, the more our desires and the more our passions and the more our feelings align with Jesus and the easier things become. It's hard ministering to people when they are embroiled in so much difficulty and they haven't managed their life well with the Lord and you're like, no, it can be different. Ten years from now, this can be totally different. Three years from now, one year from now, it could be totally different. 
But it's hard to believe that. You can't see the water when you're a fish, right? It's like the hedge that Rob and I were working on out front here. I told you about last week. Neglected weeds and trash and leaves fill all those empty spaces. And over time, the hedge becomes sparse. It can't grow. And things die in it. Like you'll find dead branches in there and all this kind of stuff because it's dying off. But do the hard work of cleaning it out and, and getting all that cleared out and then trimming it and pruning it and all that stuff. And maintenance over time is easier. It's a lot easier to maintain. And life and then fullness come back to the hedge, right? We have to allow God, put ourselves into the position of of having God to clean us out and prune us back and to bring life where we've become dead and sparse. And the good news is what... Sorry. This drives me crazy. Uh, The good news is what Paul said in Romans chapter 8. And it's a little lengthy, but it says this. Therefore, there, and remember, in, he begins with saying this statement, and then he ends with basically the same statement. He says, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. I don't go that far in, this, in, the, in what, what I've printed here, but, but it does. Remember, it, it begins and ends with the same thing. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So even though you may not have practiced this well, you're not condemned. Just start. Start to enjoy it. Start to find it, right? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. It's all about Him. It's not about you. It's not about your performance and you doing everything perfectly. That's not what it's about. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Jesus came in bodily form. Because we are bodily beings, right? And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who, did not, who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, but it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh can't please God. Notice how body-centric that speech is. Emotions and feelings and desires and passions and all that are attached to our fleshly lives. They are felt and expressed through our physical bodies, right? Dead people don't feel anything. It's through the body which we feel things. We are embodied spiritual beings. It's important what we do with it. Christ did the necessary work in the body to enable us to be able to live by the Spirit's desire and not be controlled by bodily desires. Remember, Paul said, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So the overall consistent message here is one of self-control, of right placement of our feelings and desires, putting ourselves into the position of receiving, 
of transformation, of receiving daily grace by the Lord and being made into the likeness of Christ. So it's not enough just not to want to sin, but actually to pursue feelings and passions and desires which lead us away from sin. To have different feelings. And we have to recognize that within our own hearts and and minds, there are feelings and desires in us that are contrary to the life of Christ and contrary to His created order. And we must ask for a sense of revulsion towards those things. Not towards people, but towards those things. Our fight is a spiritual fight, right? Recognizing how wrong they are and how they lead us away from Christ and how they damage relationship with other people and actually damage God's creation. We have to, like David in the Psalms, right? Ask God to create in us a pure heart, a clean heart, a, you know, holiness. To create in us a desire and a feeling towards that which is godly and good in ourselves and in our relationships with each other. And that is largely the idea of putting off the old self, you know, all, involving all these wrong feelings, and putting on the new self in Christ, which involves all these good, healthy, holy feelings that are driven towards purity and holiness. So a good practice is that if you're having extremely strong, overwhelming feelings or emotion in some situation or towards some person, you may need to step back and assess that there's something out of kilter in your heart. That you're off kilter with Jesus in some way. Maybe there's an idol that you need to sacrifice in your heart. You need to take that to the altar. Maybe you are being used by spiritual forces to destroy things in your life with other people. We all do this. We all do it. Right? I don't see I don't just want to be uh, become more proficient in hiding my bad feelings. That's not what I want to do. That's not my goal. I don't want to white knuckle it through life. For instance, as a man, I don't want to walk around looking up at the ceiling or looking up at the sky because I might see some one woman that's beautiful, I think, and, and, and tempt me. I actually want to appreciate women for far more than their physical bodies, appreciating them as a creation of God and for their intelligence and for their gifts and their abilities and their personalities and all that. That involves changing my heart, changing my feelings. Because when you're like in high school, junior high school, there's nothing driving towards a a good view of women. I guarantee you that right now. All men. Amen? Amen, right? I want to cultivate a life which isn't just standing on the neck of its lust, trying to control it all the time, but sees lust change in me into something positive and good and expressible and healthy in community. We don't want to just hide that we have feelings when walking around uh, 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 by persons of different race on the street, just swallowing those feelings. And and that doesn't solve the issue. It doesn't. We all kind of have that in us at some level. 
We, we have to confess that we have believed lies about them. We have to confess that to ourselves and to the Lord. We want to grow to appreciate them in their and in, in how they've been created in their culture and, 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 and in their thinking, in light of the fact that they too are a creation of God. And they stand on equal ground with me. God created them. God created their culture. God created their, their subculture or whatever it is in all its glorious differences. So to me to look, for me to look down on somebody else for any reason is to look down on God. The problem with feelings in this area are the images and the ideas portrayed to us from movies and news and social groups and history and everything else are detrimental and denigrate a people's identity. They don't align with and reveal Christ's heart for all the nations of the world, all the different people groups of the world. Only the Scriptures do that to the fullest extent. Only the Scriptures do that. No other writing in the world does it. No other thought process in the world does it. Only the Scriptures do it. And I will die on that hill. Growing up in a heavily Italian Catholic neighborhood in New Jersey, kids would often make racial jokes about other people groups. Polish jokes were very popular. Although no one even knew a Pole. Not at all. I don't think we knew one. And those jokes left a feeling in me which weren't at all correct about a whole people group. And so when I got a little older, I was like, I met Polish people and I would be like, the first thought in my mind was they must be really stupid. I'm sorry if you're Polish. I don't mean to say that about you. It, but that's what we felt because of what we fostered, right? Totally evil. I've had to crucify those feelings in order to redeem a right view of people, of God's creation. We all need to deal with this in our heart at some, with God in some level in this area. We do, and we constantly need to crucify that stuff. I don't want to just bottle my anger up, clenching my fists all the time. Anger in me should eventually churn, turn into compassion and forgiveness and love. Bottling wrong feelings up is like a steam pot on the stove. Eventually, it just, it's going to blow due to the pressure. It will. It'll come out in some way in your life. I promise you. And I, and I know I'm right. I thought I was wrong once, but I was mistaken. But I'm right in this, right? It's the spiritual equivalent of getting off the yo-yo diet, right? You know what the yo-yo diet is. You go on a diet, like diet, 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 and then you go back to your normal way of eating and you gain even more weight. Right? That's the yo-yo diet. Get off the yo-yo diet. Change your lifestyle and what you eat and how you live and, and all that kind of stuff and, and how you eat. Right? Your, 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 your body begins then to crave good things for itself instead of junk food and garbage. That's a change. That's a true change. And in the spiritual life, you begin to crave good, healthy Wonderful emotions and wonderful desires stay in, or, or, or actually bad desires stay in check as they should, and wonderful desires emerge. We want a changed heart due to the living word and the power of the Spirit in our lives. That's what we really want. Not to hide, to have a vision for a changed life, for, that it can actually be better, to actually believe God when we read His word. 
And then have an intention to live out of the power of the Spirit and, and, and in accordance with the living Word. And then to utilize the means that God has given to attain that, which some of which we talked about last week and we're going to be talking about throughout this whole series about. The problem is that many of us don't have that vision for the changed self. We don't. We identify with our old habit-worn feelings, and that's the way we operate out of life. We never change. And we can't see any other way because we don't believe it. And that produces a person that is constantly living in disobedience to Christ. Kim said to me this week, the older I get, the more practical and truthful the Word of God becomes. And that was said in the context of you know, watching the world and people and, and understanding that those who choose not to live in obedience to, to Jesus end up always in some sort of an emotional or sometimes physical train wreck in their lives. They just can't cope. We often allow our feelings to govern us, you know, leading to bad choices which could have been avoided. You don't have to hit bottom, right? But we do. We hit bottom when we could have been living in victorious ways all throughout this time in submission to the Spirit and in submission to the Word of God. If we can gain a vision from the Scriptures, much like David was doing when he wrote the Psalms, crying out to God in the Psalms, right? We can find grace and we can find mercy and we can find power in our time of need. God's power is released in our lives to change us. As 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, and I love this verse, no temptation has seized you except for what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Amen. That's a a good verse to memorize. Practicing that verse, then we can experience verse 18 of the very same passage where he says, And we all who with unveiled faces, in other words, have come into the presence of God, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. In other words, we're constantly being added. This is constantly coming at us, and we're being added to, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Taking the way out that God provides, focusing, focusing our eyes on Him instead of all the wrong desire and feelings, we are transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. That's pretty cool. Feelings are important. I'm an artist. I feel a lot. <laughs> right? Feelings are important. They move us. We enjoy being moved. Right? I love going to operas. I love going to plays. I love hearing uh, poetry. I love hearing lyrics. I just They move me. Maybe more so than other guys. I don't know. But they do move me. And I love being moved. Some of our feelings are good. Some, some of them are not so good. Without feeling, though, we have no real inclination towards action, right? We lose interest in things if we're not feeling it, right? We say that, actually. I'm not feeling it. The issue is that our feelings are all discombobulated. They're all mixed up. And we must stand outside of ourselves, think about how we think, Right? as David did, 
and see them for what they truly are. At times, they are just simply destructive. And then we can begin to practice uh, something which promises things better for us and wait for the feeling to follow. Remember, feelings aren't facts. Wait for the feeling to follow. That's called obedience. That's calling walking with Jesus, right? So sometimes we have to walk with Jesus even when we don't feel it, but it will come about later. It will. That is doing what you do not want to do now in order to experience the promise that it alone can give you what you truly need later. Right? And in that, in doing all that, eventually old feelings will fall away. They will be replaced with healthy life-giving feelings. They will be modified or whatever. We, we must take good care of our feelings. Meaning we don't just let them happen to us. We don't just live in submission to them. But we submit them to God. We submit every thought we have to Christ. We make it obedient to Christ and we allow Him to reshape our person from the inside out. So let's end today with a little story of feelings from Luke chapter 10. A man, you know this story. A man was going down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho and when he, had, he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and they went away leaving him for half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, very religious man, right? And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Didn't want to have anything to do with him, right? But a Samaritan, who, by the way, were called dogs by the Jews because they had mixed, right? A Samaritan, as he had traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds and he pouring, pouring on oil and wine and then he put the man on his own donkey, uh, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave the, them to the innkeeper and, and, and he says, look after him, he said, or when I, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. I'll, I'll, I'll Venmo it to you, right? That's what we do today. Which of these three... Jesus asked, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? We all know the answer, right? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So focusing on those three characters, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, all three were governed by their feelings in that situation. All three of them. The priest and the Levite both were governed by either disdain or fear or self-centeredness and pride. Feelings drove them to disregard a man in need. The Samaritan, however, automatically felt pity, automatically felt compassion. What was important to the priest and the Levite suddenly became unimportant to the Samaritan in light of the need before him. That's a powerful picture of a person governed by God's heart. His own safety, his own differences with this this man, his own busyness, his own financial well-being, which is maybe the hardest one to get over, took all backseat to this man's situation. Jesus tells this story with the Samaritan being the good guy, given the disdain and the racism that the priest and the Levite would already naturally have felt towards the Samaritan. 
If I was 16 years old and Jesus told me this story, he might have had that guy be a Polish man. Right? Because I had a little bit of whatever in me. But the Samaritan is the one who was the neighbor of the man who fell to the robbers. Meditate on this story this week. I think it's going to challenge a lot of what you think in life. A lot. Especially in our day and age and what's going on in in the whole world. So in conclusion, I hope that today we've seen that that we've at least noticed how important our feelings are, right? And how they dictate so much of our life. And that there's a need to see them transformed when they are not of God or when they're not helpful or they're not reflecting the created order of God. We want to gain a vision here at 6-8, much like the Samaritan, in which our feelings are in, the, in line with the heart of God, so much so that we respond to situations and we respond to life and we respond to others as God would, with, almost without thinking. Right now, though, we might react to life situations in a priestly or Levitical way, even in like very palatable ways. Allowing the fears and the busyness and the self-preservation to dictate our choices and our actions. But we want our vision of Christ to be so clear that our intention becomes so powerful that it gets played out through the real means of the spiritual life, of spiritual formation. And in doing so, we become more and more and more like Jesus, and we respond more and more and more like Jesus all the time. And you know what? I bet you if that happens, we will see people coming to know the Lord like crazy through this church. Because you cannot help but be attracted to that. It's got to at least make you question life. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that as today we come to this table, the communion table, that you have defined all this stuff. You are moving in us. I, you know, what I said at that church yesterday was really true, that you are moving, you are changing us, you are building into us, you are growing us in depth, and you are widening, widening our boundaries and all of that stuff. You are, you are taking us somewhere, and we want to we like plant our feet in that and walk with you in it. We want to go forward. We want to be changed. We want you to challenge the way we think. We, we submit ourselves to you to change the way that we think, to change the way that we feel about ourselves, about you, about others, about the world. We want to respond like you would respond to all the situations that we're faced with in life. So as we come to the table, we remember that your body has been broken for us. It was broken that you were killed on that cross. That as they nailed those nails into your hands and your feet, and they stuck that spear into your side, your blood flowed. Your blood was shed for this very stuff. And we celebrate that. We celebrate the fact that we have a God that is willing to go to the cross, but three days later conquered death and rose from the grave that is a powerful powerful message death no longer has mastery over us sin no longer has mastery over us 
So we pray that we would not give in and that we would walk with you well.